thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. All the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances and one man in his time will play many parts. Bit of Shakespeare. A bit of Shakespeare. And um, you know that, that kind of statement from, or that, that passage from As You Like It talks about the world being a stage and we play parts and we play roles. And the big idea I want to kind of talk to you about today, uh, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, is this, that life is not a problem to be solved, but a story to be lived. And right now, guys, we are living through history, aren't we? We're living through story. And, and what we're looking at in, in this series is that when we tell the stories of this season, will our stories be worth telling? You know, what role will we play in this story uh, that's going on right now? And um, in the social media thing in the week, uh, we asked the question, um, who would play you in a movie? And it was really interesting. I jumped in on that and I said, well, obviously Brad Pitt. And yeah, I got that kind of reaction as well. And I don't know what you thought when, when, you know, who would play you. But the other question that we've been asking is this, what movie character would you play? And we were asking that in the pre-service if you were there. And maybe even in the room, you know, what kind of movie character would you like to play? And, and I've been thinking about this and I was immediately taken to, to my favourite film, which might hopefully doesn't say a lot about me, The Godfather. But I think as a pastor of a church, I probably don't want to play the role of the Godfather. But here's the thing, you see, whatever kind of movie character you think of or whatever role you play, most of us want to be the hero in our own story. Most of us want to be the centrepiece of the story. And maybe it's a little bit of escapism. And I wonder whether that starts in us when we're kids and, we want to, and we're desperate maybe. Maybe you weren't desperate, but those of us that were desperate maybe to get on the stage and play a part in the school play. Here's the big idea that I want us to, or the question that we're going to look at uh, today. How do we play our part in the bigger story? Okay, if all the world's a stage and men and women are merely players and in his time one man plays many parts, how do we play our part in the bigger story? And I'm going to look at a story that Jesus tells, which if you're not a Christian or you're not a churchgoer, you will have heard this story because you've heard the phrase. And it's one of the most famous stories. I remember this from when I was a kid uh, in Sunday school. And if any of you were Sunday school kids, you'll remember it. But even if you're not a church uh, person and you're watching this, you'll, you'll know this phrase. And we refer to this story as the parable of the good Samaritan. And you can see it in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at that. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to switch it on. Okay, if you've got a Bible or even open it up if you've got one with real pages in. Um, but I want to I credit this because I heard a guy called Levi Lusco do a talk on this a few weeks ago. And it so impacted me. He brought stuff out of it that I've never seen. So I'm crediting him with this. This is his framework. I thought it was so good that I wanted to pass it on to you. And I'm going to add some of my own thoughts into it as well. But we're just going to read the story through. And then I'm going to draw out some things. And some of the things you'll know and some of the things... I think will be fresh discovery for you as they have been for me. So here it is in Luke chapter 10. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So basically, this is a lawyer. This is a religious lawyer who is out to test and to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now, Jesus does something that Jesus does a lot of. He never answers or very rarely answers a question with an answer. All right? You might say he's a politician, but that's not what he's doing. This is called the Socratic method. Socrates, not the Brazilian footballer from the 80s, but Socrates, the Greek philosopher, he used to disciple and mentor people like this, that when someone asked a question, rather than just give an answer, he would often give another question. That's exactly what Jesus does. So Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, this man knows the law. He's got it right. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, he's trying to trap Jesus. In reply, Jesus said, and Jesus didn't give another answer and he didn't even ask another question. He told a story. And this is the story that he told. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, everyone in the crowd stops and they look at each other and they nod because they know this road. They know this is a dangerous road and they know that this man put himself at risk by going on this road from Jericho or from Jerusalem down to Jericho. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, this is a beautiful phrase, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus asked the question, so which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now Jesus pulls out three men in the story, but actually... There are five men in the story and I want to look at each of the five roles and I want you to come with me and imagine which of these roles you are most like or should be most like. So the first one is the priest. Now the Bible says that he was on his way down on the road. Probably he was coming from the temple at Jerusalem. He was a man obligated by God to care for men like this man that was beaten in the road. He's just come from the temple and yet he passes him by. The second man, the Levite. Now if you know what a Levite is, basically a Levite is a worship leader, okay? but without the guitar, probably. But a worship leader, so basically in the Old Testament, um, God said that all of Israel were to be kingdom of priests, but actually within that, there was a specific tribe called the Levites that was set apart to do priestly function, but everybody was meant to have that priestly function as well. In the New Testament, we are called the priesthood of all believers. So if you're a Christian, you're a priest, which means that not, not that you have a job as such, but that we stand before God on behalf of man. That's basically what, what we do. And so this guy would have come also from the temple as well. Both the priests and the Levites were obligated by God to care for men like this that were beaten by the side of the road. But the Bible says both men passed by on the other side. It was probably worse than that. This road was really narrow. When the Bible says they passed by on the other side, that's the story Jesus is telling. In reality, they may well have had to step 
over the man to get past him. So these two men on their way from the temple see this man beaten and broken, not only pass by him, but maybe they even stepped over him in order to get home. What's going on in their heads? You know, what's the rationale in their heads? Why don't they stop? Maybe they think, well, I'm just too busy or I'm, I'm too exhausted. I've been doing important work for God in the temple. Maybe the worship leader said, you know, I've been playing four chords for the last two hours, you know, and I'm all exhausted. I'm spent emotionally. I don't know what's going on in their heads, but whatever it is, these two men pass over, even step over the man who's lying on the road beaten. Now, before we get too judgmental on these two guys, okay, and I'm putting this quote up, we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge other people by their actions, don't we? And I wonder how many times I, you, you if you're watching, whenever you're watching, how many times we have been the priest and the Levite. Several years ago, Alison and myself, that's my wife, we were um, uh, Christmas shopping in Chester and uh, we were in this multi-story car park and uh, we'd done Christmas, a fair amount of Christmas shopping and I said I'd take the bags back to the car and as I walked back to the car and I walked down the steps in the multi-story, there was a homeless man who was drunk and lying on the steps. And I watched as people stepped over him to get into their car, stepped over him to get their bags into their car, stepped over him to get to more shops. And I put my bags in the car and went back and chatted to this guy and gave him some money, helped him to get some food. And then when I came back, he'd gone. But it's always stuck with me how many people stepped over the man that they could all see. And I know I've done that in my life as well. And um, this is um, a season uh, that we've been in where racial injustice and injustice of all shapes has risen its head again. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't know whether any of you watched the Samuel L. Jackson uh, series that's just started called Enslaved, which is looking at the history of slavery. And, and again, as a black man, as he's looking at his own history and story, and there's a lot of other black men and women in the, in the story. And, uh, and the, the emotion as they think of their history and their story and how they feel that they have been and they have have been um, uh, not only subjugated, but ignored and stepped over. Uh, and, and I watched and I thought, I don't get that as a white man, but I totally get just the emotion that you're experiencing. And how many of us, because of the words that we don't want to hear in our head, are actually stepping over people who need us so much. You know, today is National um, Anti-Slavery Day. And uh, slavery is not just a race issue. Slavery has risen, modern day slavery has risen by 42% since 2012. Right now, right where you are, right where we are, there are people around us who are like this man, who are beaten, who are broken, who are helpless, who are enslaved. And are we the priests and the Levite? Are we so busy with our religious stuff? Are we so busy with our own lives that we not only pass them by, but maybe we even step over them? And I wonder whether we need to ask God to give us almost like a supernatural wake up so that we could see people around us and that we could do something about it. Maybe we need to change the narrative. Maybe we need to change the words that we're hearing in our head so that we see the people that God wants us to see. And that leads us on to the third man, the Samaritan. 
Um, and we call him the Good Samaritan, although Jesus never referred to him as good. But this, this Good Samaritan, and I think this is like the hero of the story, isn't it? And, and this is the character that we all feel that we want to be. And in many senses, we are called to be like the Good Samaritan. Now, context is everything. And to a Jewish man or woman, hearing Jesus talk about a Samaritan in these terms was shocking because they hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated them. In fact, in the Jewish prayer life and prayer world, they, they used to have a, a, a prayer where they said, thank God that there are no Samaritans in the resurrection. That's how hated they were. And so when Jesus says, this is the man, actually, that you should be like, it's like, it, it, this, this is kind of, this is hard for them to get their heads around. And in one sense, we are called as people who, and if you say that you're a follower of Jesus today, and I know that all of you watching uh, may not claim to be that, but, but there's something in you and we all want to be this person. We all want to be the good Samaritan. We all want to be the one that, that gives and, and we're called in one sense to be this character, okay? And I want to look at what he does because he does three things. Firstly, he notices then he feels and then he acts. He noticed, he felt and he acted. And I want to just break that down a little bit. The first thing was he noticed, he actually saw the man. Now I think the priest and the Levites saw the man. The Bible says it. They stepped over the man, I think. But he noticed the man, he really saw the man. And then when he saw him, he felt... And the Bible says he took pity on him. And that word pity, when we think of pity, we think, oh, do you know what I mean? Oh, that's really sad. That's not what the word pity meant in the original language. It's kind of more like compassion. It's that thing that Jesus had when he looked at the crowds. And, and I think when he looks at our nation right now and he looks at the anger and the frustration and the hurt and the brokenness that there is in our nation and in our world, I think he feels compassion. And you know, I'm, I'm doing some study at the moment on the 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and, the, and, the, and the groups of people that grew up in that period, the Herodians and the Essenes and the Zealots. And one of the groups was the Pharisees. And this was the group that Jesus spent a lot of time with. And we give Pharisees a hard time because we think that they're not believers. They were absolute believers. But the thing that the Bible says time and time again about the Pharisees is that the one thing that they lost more than anything was their compassion for people. It was their compassion for people that they lost. They kept trying to do everything so right that in doing things so right, they got it so wrong because they lost their compassion for people. And I can, I can hear almost as I'm saying it, some people say, oh yeah, but so-and-so and this and that. And again, words and words and, you know, you know but these people matter and what about this? And, that? and we use all of that to be defensive when actually what this man did, he saw the man, he had compassion on him, he felt something and then he acted. He didn't just feel something, he acted. He got off his high horse or at least his donkey. He got off his high horse. And I remember um, some years ago, uh, a worship leader that I know, she wrote a brilliant song called, um, and there was a line of song that says, I have a high horse and his name is Pride. It's a great song. I have a high horse and his name is Pride. And then someone else who I won't mention who it is, because they are in the room and I haven't asked their permission, um, said to me one day, I don't get that song. I said, what do you mean? That song about the high horse. And, and I said, what don't you get? And he said, I have a high horse and his name is Clive. I said, no, 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 you're hearing it wrong. It's his name is Pride, not Clive, okay? But it's just a great song. And it's just this idea of this man who's a Samaritan who sees the broken man who gets down off his high horse because of compassion and he does something about it. 
And I absolutely love this. And do you know what? The Bible says he lifted him up. Isn't that a great phrase? Wouldn't that be a great call on us as a church that if in this season, when the world is so messed up and when there's so much anger and frustration and hurt and disappointment, and I feel a lot of that as well, wouldn't it be amazing if we became the church that helped lift people up? Wouldn't it? That actually we saw and then we felt and then we got off our high horses and we actually did something and helped to lift people up. Wouldn't that be incredible? You see, it should be what we do because we are marked out by one thing and that's love. And we put this on social media this week. Love is our motive. Love is our message. And love is our means. That's what it's all about. And we say often these days, we don't want to be the best church in the community. We want to be the best church for the community. Which is why we're clearing out one of our um, uh, warehouses right now and trying to get prepared for the, for the winter and get prepared for, for the social uh, challenges that our, our communities are going to come under and how we can start you know, resourcing and helping and serving. We want to be like the Good Samaritan. We really do. Do we notice people, guys? Do we feel and do we act? But here's the thing. That's where many of us would stop and we'd say, and maybe that's, you know, and Jesus is saying, I, I get that. Maybe many of us would stop there and say, yeah, yeah, that, that's the hero. I want to be the hero. But there's another character in the story, the beaten man. And here's the bit of revelation, okay, that I had when I listened to Levi Lusco talk that I'm going to pass on to you. And in many senses, the beaten man is more like you and me than the good Samaritan. Because I tell you what, if you don't know Jesus, you are like this man. In one sense, we're going nowhere. We're beaten, we're helpless, we're hopeless. In fact, he's not a good Samaritan. He needs a good Samaritan. And don't you and don't I? Don't we need that? You know, we want to be the good Samaritan, but actually we need a good Samaritan because the ultimate good Samaritan is not you or me. The ultimate good Samaritan is Jesus Christ. You see, you see, when you look at Jesus, he's the one that came down off his high horse, if you like, or came down from heaven. He's the one that crossed over the boundaries, the racial boundaries. He's the one that gave his life for his enemies, not his friends. He's the good Samaritan, not us. And it's like we're the ones that were beaten and helpless and hopeless and without, without a prayer really, you know. And he's the one that came and he's the one that felt. And the Bible says Jesus had compassion on everyone. And he's the one that, that lifts us up and with oil and wine, oil speaks of his Holy Spirit, wine speaks of his blood. He lifts us up to where he wants us to be. Isn't that incredible? That's so amazing. I'm not the good Samaritan. I need a good Samaritan because I'm this man. And you know what? Even if you are a Christian, sometimes we get to be like this man again, don't we? And maybe as I'm speaking today, and I'm going to come back and pray into this later, maybe you still feel like you're beaten up on the road. That somebody has beaten you up. Maybe life's beaten you up. Maybe you're out there on the front line of healthcare right now or you're, you're a teacher or you're, you're a business guy and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're looking at all the staff that you've got and you don't know how you're going to keep them and you feel beaten up and you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. You don't feel like a good Samaritan. You need a good Samaritan and his name is Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus isn't our last hope, guys. He's our only hope. He is our only hope. And as we look towards the presidential elections in a few days' time, a few weeks' time, as we look towards the cliff edge of Brexit, and as we look towards a global pandemic and all that, it's really easy to think, flipping egg, Jesus, you're our last hope. No, Jesus is our only hope, our only hope. 
He's the good Samaritan. And I wonder whether some of us today are like this man and we're beaten. And we want to be the hero in the story and I get that. But actually, there already is a hero in the story and his name is Jesus. And you know, it is so great, this story, because I think, yes, we're the man. And yes, at times we are the good Samaritan. Unfortunately, at times we are the priest and the Levite. But do you know the character that we're meant to be more than any of the other four? The innkeeper. Because the innkeeper is the one who looks after those that the good Samaritan brings to his door. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that like, wow, isn't that the role of the church that we're the ones that care and nurture and love and put back on their feet those that the good Samaritan has brought to our door? (laughs) You see, God's not calling us to save the world. That's the job of his son. But God is calling us, guys. And if you're a follower of Jesus right now, whether you're in the room, whether you're online live or whether you're catching it up later, wherever or whenever you're watching it, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Good Samaritan is going to bring people to your door if you've got eyes to see. And if you've got a willingness to open up the life that you have, to open up some space that you have, to open up something to say, hey, as you brought this person to my door, I will do what it takes to bandage the wounds, to help them, to nurture, to encourage so that they can stand on their feet again. And you know, it's going to take a lot to do this, okay? It really is. And um, the Good Samaritan gave the innkeeper two denarii. And when I looked at that, I thought, that's just loose change. But then when I did a bit of research, it's actually equivalent to 60 days in the hotel. That's a lot of money, isn't it? So he gave him a lot of money and he said, you're going to have to do this for at least 60 days, okay? I'm going to come back in, in a good period of time. And, and, and then he says something else. And he says, and if you've gone into your own money, I'm going to reimburse you. I'll come to that in a minute. But basically he says, this is going to take a lot to fix up this guy. In other words, guys, here here it is. It's going to be messy to help people in our culture. And I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, messy church. Uh, And and, and the Anglicans uh, coined it some years ago. You know, it's when families are coming in and you're colouring and crafting. No, no, no. That's not messy church. Messy church is church. All church should be messy if there's life. If there's life, it should be messy. And it's messy and there's blood and there's stuff and there's, I nearly said another word, then there's blood and stuff um, off this man. And, and this innkeeper is called to break his routine for the sake of someone who needed help. And I wonder if we as the church, and maybe even COVID-19, has it broken into our routine? Has it disrupted us in such a way that actually God said, now, Now will you be the church that I need you to be for my broken and hurting world. Now will you be the church that I've called you to be for those who are beaten up on the road, who are hopeless and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now will you be the church who who, who I've called you to be to model the kind of life that I've modelled for you, which is a sacrifice and surrender. And it will cost you. And it will cost you. And I look at this and then there's a mind-blowing truth in Luke 10 verse 35. Look after him, he said. This is the good Samaritan talking to the innkeeper. And when I return, see it's the language of Jesus, isn't it? When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That's why I know that actually ultimately the good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus, not you and I. Because it's Messiah language. When I return, 
I will reimburse. That word reimburse means I will repay. I will restore what has been depleted. Listen, look at me. If those of you in the camera, those of you in the room, what you have given out on behalf of others, I will give back. Isn't that amazing? I'll reimburse you. I'll repay you. I'll restore. Or can I say another reword? I'll reward you. As much as you did, Jesus says, for the least of these, you did for me. Jesus walked around the churches, the lampstands in the book of Revelation, and he says, I've seen your hard work and your good deeds and your perseverance. You cared for people when it hurt you. You loved people when they didn't love you back. You gave financially when nobody acknowledged it and nobody saw it. You loved and you gave and I will reward you. I think that's amazing. And I think somebody today or whenever you're hearing this, you need to hear that right now because you feel completely depleted and worn out and you need to know that Jesus, the good Samaritan, will reimburse. He will restore you. How do we play our part in the bigger story? Stop making it all about you. (laughs) Stop making it all about you. A wasted story, guys, is a story that's all about you. And you know, I know I'm on a stage here, okay? And I know that's a calling and a personality thing, and I know that. But listen, my story isn't about me being on a stage, because the only one on a stage is the Good Samaritan, and it's not me. It's Jesus. But actually, my story is about where I take my one and only life and say, Jesus, how can I be like the innkeeper? And yet, in a sense, I want to be a bit like the Good Samaritan. I want to see, I want to feel, and I want to notice. But ultimately, I want to be the one that when you bring people to my door, I'm willing to disrupt my life for the sake of somebody else and for the sake of your glory. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. I want to kind of okay, listen in, listen in. When you give your life for Jesus and for others, you actually end up saving it. This is an amazing story about a guy called Jim Becker. His photo is going to come up on the screen, hopefully. Jim Becker, okay. Now, this is a North American story and NFL football. He was a massive Green Bay Packers fan. Okay, and from the age, from, from as, a, as a young boy, he, he just loved it. And, but he, he was poor. His father died in his 40s. Uh, when he got married, he had 11 kids. He couldn't afford to go to the games. So he gave his blood. And when he gave his blood, they paid him for his blood. And that meant that he went all of his life. And at the age of 80, he was inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame. Here's the thing. He discovered during his life, that he had a very rare blood disease, I'm going to get this right, hemochromatosis, which basically meant, and he didn't know this, that's why his father died at a young age. And basically this disease says such that what you have to do is the only way you save yourself is by regularly giving blood. So he gave his blood, not even knowing that when he gave his blood for money to go and watch the thing, that actually by the giving of his blood, he was saving his very own life. Isn't that amazing? And when you and I, when we get the chance to give, when we get the chance to sacrifice, what we end up doing is actually saving our life because then our life is a life worth living. Guys, I want to say to you, church, Life Central, anyone watching, we are in a season where history is being written and the history of the church is being written right now as well. 
And, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to get emotional if I go too much into this, okay? But I'm reading stuff. I'm looking at stuff. I'm talking with leaders all the time. And this is an incredibly difficult season to lead, not just in the church, but in society, in politics, everything. And history is being written. What will it say of us? Will it say that as a church, we just hung on for survival? Or as a church that we just went inward? Or will it be as a church that we allowed the Good Samaritan to disrupt our lives so that we could help those beaten and broken on the road? I don't know about you, but I want to say yes, don't you? I want to say yes. And you know, when we do that, when we give our life, when we give our blood, if you like, okay, we end up not only saving ourselves, but we end up giving honour to Jesus the good Samaritan, who has done so much for us. I'd still be on the road if it wasn't for the good Samaritan. I'd still be hopeless and helpless if it wasn't for the good Samaritan. I'd still be going nowhere if it wasn't for the good Samaritan. And when we get the chance to do that, we come along people. And then as they begin to tell their story, we recognise that we've played a small part in their story, which means that our story is now part of a bigger story. Take a little look at this. This is a few people who have found the Good Samaritan in these last few weeks or months or, or a couple of years. And they've begun to leave their life and they've begun to walk it out. And as we watch this, this is the reason that we do what we do. This is our mission, guys, to help people find and follow Jesus. Here's some amazing stories. My name is Olga. My name's Dom. My name's Laura. Lucy. My name's Mick. Ellie. Gary. I'm Anne. My name's Raj. Let me tell you about my history with Jesus. I'd never had that relationship with God and I just automatically believed that just by saying I believed in God, that made me a Christian. But when I was 14, we went on a Christian holiday to a place called Grapevine. And when I was there, I saw the work that God was doing and for the first time ever, I asked Jesus into my life. It wasn't until this summer when my mom suddenly and unexpectedly passed away that I felt God in my weakest and lowest point, stronger and louder than he'd ever been. It was when I lost my dad, um, and I certainly wrestled with that. I've certainly had doubts and questions and gone through all of those processes, but ultimately it has, in fact, strengthened my faith. I grew up believing in God, but I wasn't entirely sure, and I guess I would only turn to him when I was desperate bit of a last resort. Seven years ago, I found myself a single mom. I was completely devastated and it has been the biggest challenge of my life. In my desperation, I started to turn to God again and I started to pray. And that's when I started to hear the signs. I realised that's when he was listening. I found myself running to the front as if I was escaping out. When I got to the front, I was surrounded by an incredible presence. And I felt completely safe. And during that time, God spoke to me very clearly that he was going to save my whole family. And God has been faithful to that promise over the last 30 years. He saved all of my family. My understanding of myself has really grown in recent years. I've always struggled to relate to God as a father and always believed I needed to try harder to be a better Christian. Then two years ago, my dad died. My family has been through one of the most challenging times yet. The storm is raging around us, threatening more thunder and lightning. But I have my God beside me, and I am holding on to him. 
He is my saviour, my guardian and my father. Mom's Sikh, my dad's Muslim. It's always been very difficult for me to kind of pick a religion to follow. And I've always been very like anti-religion, anti-God and looking for God and for Jesus was something that I didn't plan to do and it just happened. And I spent a long time kind of thinking about trying to reach out to God, but never really taking the steps to do so. So I started to watch a few of the sermons from, from church on, on Sunday mornings. I found it really appealing. And I also felt like every single time I listened to Leon talk, the things he talked about seemed to be like he was talking to me directly. And so I started to pray and I knew that I wanted to be a Christian, that I, my love for Jesus would be never ending. Finding Jesus has helped me calm my depression down, it's helped the anxiety go away and it's helped me focus on what I need. Up until around three years ago as an atheist, I didn't believe in God. Growing up I'd heard about God but only vaguely. However, due to my parents informing me and reminding me about God all the time, I started to believe there was a God. Then February 2018, I got invited to the weekend away. I had an amazing time and I experienced the Holy Spirit. I was so confused at first, I didn't understand what was taking over my body, although I felt at peace. It just shows how amazing God is that I can call myself an atheist three years ago, and now I'm fully committed to God. Well, I came to a point a few years ago when, for various reasons, I stopped attending church. I spent just a few years in the wilderness. Uh, but during the dark times, I began to realise something else, uh, something very important. God has never left me alone, never. Uh, I've been ignoring him, but he'd never taken his hand off me. He got to a point where I would compare myself and my journey and my relationship with him to other people's. It would cause such an unnecessary pressure within me. My outlook changed when I realised that I can't compare my path or my journey with him to other people's. Once I realised that, it made me concentrate and focus more on my personal relationship with him. It made me get rid of some of the inside pressure which was built up within me. God's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you all either. God's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you either. How do we respond to what we've heard today? Well, I want to say, if you are watching or you're here in the room and you don't know Jesus, in other words, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can. That's what Alpha is all about. We'd love you to check that out. Several of those people that were on that, you know, they, they didn't know anything about God. They didn't have any church background and they went on Alpha. Several of those people, in fact, some of them during lockdown, been on Alpha and become a Christian. You can do that. But you know, if you are a follower of Jesus, how do you respond? I think we respond by saying, you know what? The good Samaritan who helped me stand, who lifted me up, I now want to be like that for other people. I want to help other people stand. I want to help other people get kind of put back together again. I want to come alongside other people. You know, whether it's the Good Samaritan or the innkeeper, but I don't want to be like the priest or the Levite, but I want to help people stand. And that's going to cost me. But you know what? It cost Him everything. It's not going to cost me everything, but it's going to cost me something. And so I don't know whether today... You want to stand with me. And if you're in the room, I want to invite you to stand right now. And maybe if you're at home or watching wherever you're watching this, then maybe whatever way you can, is there a way that you can respond and just say, hey, I want to stand. 
I want to stand and I want to say, yes, Lord, I want to stand, but I want to help other people stand as well. And we're going to sing this little refrain, this little kind of chorus that, that we, we've used as a church over these last couple of, I don't know, however long it's been out. And, and I remember singing this song at funerals. You know, when, when literally we've said goodbye, I remember saying goodbye to someone and she died in her 20s, leaving a little boy behind. It was a really hard funeral. I remember the whole place being full of people that said, we don't understand all the pain and the frustration and we haven't got the answers to all the questions, but we know that there is a good Samaritan who found us one day beaten, helpless and hopeless on a road and who helped lift us up and with the oil of His Spirit and the wine of His blood, put us back together again so that we can stand. And that's how we want to live our lives. That's the story we will tell. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to respond in this. If you're at home, you can sing at the top of your lungs. If you're in the room, respond in other ways, okay? But we can do that as we stand with arms lifted high and our heart surrendered. And then as we go, don't be the priest. Don't be the Levite. Be the Good Samaritan. Be the innkeeper. At times, we need to remember that we're still the broken man that needs a good Samaritan. We'll come back to that in a, moment, in a minute. But as we stand, as we lift up our arms, let's say, God, Jesus, make me like that. God, by Your Spirit, help me to help others to stand even in this season. Let me just pray. Father, thank You for sending Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, lifting my life, lifting our lives, Help us to be like Him for our lost and broken world, that we could help others to stand. In Jesus' Name, Amen.